from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. Posons-nous sérieusement la question de l'avenir que nous voulons et ayons tous ensemble le courage de le construire. Für uns in Deutschland ist das Bekenntnis zum vereinten Europa Teil unserer Staatsräson. A strong united Europe is a necessity for the world because an integrated Europe remains vital to our international order. This is the moment for Europe to lead the way towards a new vitality. Hello, welcome to this Centre for European Reform podcast on Belarus and its border issues with Poland. I'm Charles Grant, the CER's director. I'm joined here by my colleague Camina Mortero Martinez, based in our Brussels office, who's a JHA Justice and Affairs expert, and also an expert on migration, has been following the Polish border issue closely. I'm also joined by a special guest, Katja Glod, who's a fellow of the Centre for European Policy Analysis in Washington, has been writing a lot about Belarus. The country comes from full SEPA and other think tanks as well. Welcome to you both. Thanks. Hello. Okay, let me just start off with a, with a word on what we think is happening as far as we know. This week, and we're recording on the uh, 23rd of November, the tensions seem to have been somewhat alleviated. They're somewhat reduced compared to where they were last week. There are still people trying to cross the border from Belarus into Poland, but fewer than before. Lukashenko, the self-proclaimed president of Belarus, has had a couple of talks with Angela Merkel on the telephone. His foreign minister has talked to Mr. Burrell, the EU's foreign policy chief, and he's agreed to allow humanitarian organizations into the country to, to tend some of the illegal immigrants that he's siphoned into Belarus and has tried to push onto Poland. So the EU, as far as I can tell, is fairly united in getting tougher with Lukashenko, or trying to get tougher with him. They're preparing a fifth round of targeted sanctions on companies and individuals associated with this uh, funneling of migrants from Middle Eastern countries into the European Union. Katja, can we turn to you first, and then we'll turn to Camino, then we'll come back to Katja at the end. Katja, what is the situation at the moment on the border, as far as you can tell? Um, yes, thank you, Charles. Well, as you've correctly um, put it, the situation has come down to some extent. Um, after the um, phone conversations with the German Chancellor Angela Merkel, uh, the Belarusian security services, who seem to have been in charge of the whole operation, they have been redirecting the uh, migrants, large crowds of migrants, to a logistical center near the Belarusian uh, border, which is located on the territory of Belarus. So at least now we know that these people are sheltered, they have some food, the Belarusian authorities are providing water. Um, there is even like a small um, cafe or a small shop that they opened up for people that the people are able to buy um, some food. We do, however, know that there, there are still um, attempts to cross the border with Poland. And now, for example, the Polish and Lithuanian authorities also reports that the Belarusian security services have changed their tactics, but they're still encouraging the migrants to try and come um, across the border in smaller groups, for example, in groups of several dozen people, as far as the Polish border is concerned, or in groups of several people, um, as far as the Lithuanian border is concerned. Lukashenko yesterday um, held a meeting with um, uh, the head of the Grodna region. This is the western part of Belarus, and um, where uh, most of the migrants are. And um, uh, um, Lukashenko said that he's still waiting for the European Union to take 
back 2,000 migrants that Lukashenko alleges Mrs. Merkel had promised to do, although I think the spokesperson of Mrs. Merkel and um, the German um, side had um, rejected that this is true. So we don't really know what it's all coming to. Indeed, the numbers seem to be slightly lower, but um, the flow has not stopped. And perhaps we'll, be see, we'll see within the next few months how the situation will develop. Right. And what do you think Katya Lukashenko is trying to achieve by taking these people from Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, other Middle Eastern countries, shoving them into the EU? What's his game? Well, his game has been, first of all, to force the European Union to relax the sanctions against Belarus. Um, uh, the European Union has so far introduced four packages of sanctions, sanctioning uh, over 100 individuals and also state -owned, several state-owned companies and so-called money bags of Lukashenko meaning big oligarchs who support the regime. And um, uh, soon the um, economic, the trade sanctions will come into effect and altogether the sanctions are going to hit the Belarusian economy quite badly. The, one of the latest forecasts shows that um, next year Belarus might already see a drop um, of four, between six and 10% in its GDP due to um, the economic sanctions imposed by the European Union. So number one for Lukashenko is to revoke the sanctions. Number two, of course, to recognize him as a legitimate president um, of Belarus. And on both issues, we know that the European Union has not been responsive. It does not recognize Lukashenko as a legitimate president. It's not going to revoke the sanctions. On the contrary, the sanctions seem to to toughen because the situation with human rights in Belarus is further deteriorating. So for Lukashenko, it is really, he's now seeing that the crisis, the migration crisis that his regime has engineered has not really brought the fruit he had hoped it would. And he's now trying to solve the situation um, so that the costs are not so high for, um, for Belarus as well. I saw Mrs. Tikhanovskaya, who won the presidential election, is now sitting in exile in Vilnius. She's been saying that the EU should introduce tougher sanctions than it has done because she thinks it shouldn't talk to Mr. Lukashenko either. Do you think the EU's been too weak in dealing with the Lukashenko regime? Well, um, it's a very controversial question because uh, um, I think what is clear that um, you cannot really bring down the regime from the outside unless you invade a country which no one is talking about here. Um, I think that actually the sanctions response from the European Union side towards Belarus has been quite tough. As I said, we have seen four packages. We know that the fifth one is coming, which concerns particularly the migration crisis. And um, um, even though Mrs. Stikhanovska hasn't been recognized um, as the official president, but she has not sought this role herself, the European Union has not indeed recognized Lukashenko as a legitimate president or as a legitimate leader of the country. So in my view, the response has been quite tough. Perhaps more can be done, uh, more along the lines of supporting civil society, the Belarusian opposition, but um, so far that has been the toughest response that we have seen um, to the regime of Mr. Lukashenko over the 26 years that Lukashenko has been in office.
Before I turn to Camino, Katya, what do the ordinary people in Belarus think about all these migrants coming in? I mean, Belarus is a, not a country that's used to seeing very many migrants. Is, is this causing some concern, all these strange people walking through the countryside? You're right, Charles. It is indeed causing some concern. Um, Belarusian society is hom very homogeneous. It's overwhelmingly white. It does not have any experience living in multiracial communities. And at first, when the migrants were siphoned straight to the border, that did not cause any concern. But now when we are seeing migrants in um, big cities in Belarus and uh, people are of course um, they're a bit surprised they don't they don't really have so much hostility but on the other hand for example very recent online poll um, and uh, the audience of the poll were people who, who are anti-Lukashenko but even among them the attitude towards migrants is not very positive. We saw that only 36% of the respondents said that they feel um, for the migrants and for their plight, which is not high. So, and this is how the um, crisis might backfire um, on Lukashenko. And that's why Lukashenko is now trying uh, by all means to solve the crisis so that First of all, his own electorate, which is, you know, which is very conservative layer of society, very aggressive, very polarized, that they will not start um, disliking Lukashenko for seeing all these migrants in Belarusian streets. Well, I wonder if that could be why he seems to have slightly uh, uh, slowed down the, the flows of migrants in the last few days. Perhaps he's getting worried it could undermine his own position at home. But let, let me turn now to Kimino Mortera-Martinez in Brussels. Camilla, you've been writing about Poland. Indeed, I should say that all these questions are very, covered very well in a CER insight that you wrote together with our colleague Ian Bond uh, and uh, Katya recently. Camilla, how is, how is Poland reacting due to the, the, all these people coming across its border and trying to get into the country? Well, possibly not how one would expect a European Union member to react, right? But surely um, in, in, a, in a way that we've come to expect from Poland's current nationalist governments. So Lukashenko, as we've been talking about, has been ferrying migrants, mostly from Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria, to the European Union's external borders uh, in Lithuania, Latvia, and Poland since June. But both Latvia and Lithuania have asked the European Union for help, and they have introduced states of emergency as they try to deal with a problem that they um, were not necessarily very experienced before. Uh, both uh, sought and received assistance from Frontex, the European Union's border agency, and that resulted um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a stark uh, decrease of arrivals. For example, a Lithuania in September reported only 20 people uh, trying to cross the border from Belarus down from 2,900 in July. This is not at all the case for Poland. Uh, by mid-October, the Polish authorities said that there had been more than 15,000 attempts to cross the border illegally since early August. And numbers, as we said before, are going down. Last Friday, I think we had only 195 attempts to cross the border. But the Polish government's response has been really tough. Uh, the Polish authorities have sent thousands of troops and police to the border, and they have also done their best to ensure that there is no scrutiny whatsoever of what they're doing there, banning journalists, aid workers, and others from the border area, something that seems to have um, east a little bit in recent days. So Poland, unlike Lithuania and Latvia, has refused flatly to ask the European Union uh, for help. 
both uh, Frontex, the border agency, but also the European Union's asylum support office, IASO, instead opting to send the army and mounting a military-style border operation. But, but Camilla, this is a bit strange. As you say, Latvia and Lithuania are asking for help. Why is Poland not keen to get help from its partners in the European Union? What's, what's going on here? Well, so Poland's nativist conservative government did not seek or want this crisis, but it surely is not letting it to go to waste. By having refused to ask the European Union's border and asylum support agencies for help, the Polish government ensures that nobody steals its self-appointed role as quote-unquote ultimate defender of the land. Banning EU staff and other international organizations, including NGOs and media, also serves another purpose. It allows the Polish government to engage in systematic pushbacks, which is a practice that breaches both European Union and international laws. But if, if a migrant walks into Poland from Belarus and jumps across the border fences and they, they push him back into Belarus, why is that illegal under European or international law? Right, because EU countries and countries which have signed international convention, conventions on asylum uh, law cannot send people back to dangerous places. Now, Belarus may not be considered as dangerous as Afghanistan, for example, but the problem here is that once they have ferried the migrants from Minsk airport to the European Union system border, Belarusian border guard security services, as Katia was saying, force them to stay there without food or shelter and prevent them from returning to Minsk or traveling elsewhere in Belarus. And yet Poland does not offer them the chance to apply for asylum or provide them with at least temporary accommodation and food. So Poland has at least the obligation of providing shelter to all those who manage to cross the border if they apply for asylum there. And it also needs to process those asylum applications, something that could be done with the assistance of the European Union's Asylum Support Agency, EASO. Right. Well, of course, Poland has a very difficult relationship with the EU anyway. There's a whole set of issues around the rule of law and the independence of the judiciary, which Poland is in trouble with the EU. The EU is withholding some funds from Poland at the moment because of arguments over the rule of law. We don't want to get into a detailed discussion now on the rule of law, but to what extent is, are these uh, problems at the border with Belarus in, and the EU, EU's uh, annoyance with Poland for not calling it in to help? And to what extent are these impacting on the broader set of issues and problems between Poland and the European Union? Right, so as you rightly said before, the European Union has been firmly behind Poland in facing up to Lukashenko's dirty tactics despite the standoff between Warsaw and Brussels over the politicization of the judiciary in Poland. Uh, we had Council President Charles Michel, who even hinted his support for the building of a wall in the Polish-Belarusian border, which could be partially paid for by the European Union, which is not against European Union law, but shows a change in tune as the European Union institutions have long said they would not contribute to the building of walls on the EU's external border. Um, so the U27 have remained united, as you said, um, in their dealings with Lukashenko over the crisis, but this does not mean that they or the European Union institutions will go soft on Poland over the rule of law. In fact, just this week, the Commission sent two formal letters to Hungary and Poland asking about the status of the judiciary in both countries. Uh, this is actually seen as a precondition to trigger the conditionality mechanism, which is a law that could freeze funds to member states which breach EU values and that is currently being challenged before the ECJ by Poland and Hungary. Now, the Polish government does not seem inclined to de-escalate the matter either. Uh, last week, Justice Minister Siobro announced yet another judicial reform, 
which will only deepen the, the role between the Polish governments and the European Union institutions. And Poland has not complied yet with any of the rulings from the ECJ requiring the country to backtrack its judicial reforms to be in line with EU obligations. So I don't see any sort of positive spillover from EU's united fronts over the migration situation with Belarus uh, into the rule of law problem with um, Poland. Right. Right, of course, it's uh, although the European Union has been critical of Poland for not allowing in NGOs and journalists to the border areas and not, not asking for help, it also is, is very keen to express solidarity with Poland and its people over the, the uh, attacks on its border. And it seems to me that the desire to express solidarity is rather trumping the desire to criticise Poland at the moment, but that, that, may, that may change. But let's, let's conclude now by going back to Katya, who's monitoring events in Belarus very closely. Um, you know, it's only a year and a half, Katya, or less, since since uh, these elections were held in which clearly Mrs. Tikhonovskaya won and Mr. Lukashenko lost, and he wouldn't accept the result. He's still sitting there calling himself the president of uh, Belarus, though apparently when Angela Merkel spoke to him on the phone recently, she refused to call him President Lukashenko. Uh, how stable is the regime? Have we, have we got to put up with this government in Belarus for, for forever, or might, might there be some factors undermining its strength and its hold on power? Um, uh, well, that's a question which is hard to answer because on the one hand, of course, the regime is perhaps the least stable it has ever been um, over the past 26, 27 years. On the other hand, it is still stable enough to stay in power. It is not yet crumbling. In February, Lukashenko is planning to hold um, a referendum and uh, it is probably pushed by... Um, the Kremlin. Um, the Kremlin would like to see uh, the presidential powers that Lukashenko currently has somewhat devolved to other um, state bodies like parliament, for example, or maybe some, some other ministries, so that Russia on the one hand can uh, promote Russian, pro-Russian political parties, and on the other hand, it would have not only Lukashenko, but other people um, to um, deal with. And Lukashenko, of course, does not want to give up power. So currently he's thinking of this arrangement of having the so-called all Belarusian um, assembly, which would be like the Supreme Council, and he would sit at the top of this council and someone else would be president. Of course, that would create um, two power circles, and Lukashenko is very worried about that. But can I interrupt is... you, Katya? Well, what was that? What is the referendum going to be on if it, if it is held? Well, the referendum is going to, to be about changing the constitution. And uh, on the one hand, Lukashenko is pretending that he, with this referendum, he's uh, trying to meet the demands of the protesters who wanted to change, who wanted to see him go, and who wanted to see constitutional constitutional reform. But on the other hand, the referendum for him is how he can still hold on to power regardless of Russia's pressure. So whether he would become the head of the Supreme Council or um, whether he can stick to power in some other ways, that's what the referendum is supposed to enshrine, basically, his further, his further hold on to power. Right. So the, you mentioned Russia. I mean, it, to what extent is Belarus an independent country these days? Are all the key decisions taken with Russia's approval, or does Lukashenko still have a margin of manoeuvre for doing what he wants to do, whatever the Russians tell him? 
Well, Lukashenko is still um, in charge in Belarus. It would be wrong to assume that uh, Belarus is completely Russia's satellite and that Putin and the Kremlin can do what they want. I mean, if that were the case, perhaps they would have already changed Lukashenko for someone more predictable, or they would have made Belarus part of Russia. No, Lukashenko is still in charge, but obviously, unlike in previous years, his fate for maneuvering has shrunk considerably, because before he was always very good at playing um, off Russia against the West, now he doesn't really have the West to turn to. Therefore, he's forced to make certain concessions to Russia. Uh, for example, we see perhaps the greatest concessions in the military sphere. Uh, we know that Belarus is very interesting to Russia as its Western most defense front. And therefore, Russia would like to see more of its military presence in Belarus. And Lukashenko has always said that he does not see any need for a Russian military base in Belarus. But for example, over the past few months, um, Belarus has opened a so-called military training center for air defense. And within this center, we saw some Russian um, air fighters flying um, from Russia to Belarus. And many say that, well, if it's not a military base, maybe um, you know it's something which looks very similar to a military base. Or with the migration crisis, we also know that some Russian bombers um, have been flying over Belarusian airspace. So all in all, Lukashenko's space for maneuvering has shrunk. Um, he's still not Russia's puppet, but he's obviously uh, moving closer towards Russia. And perhaps one more example to, to cite here is the recent signing of um, the so-called 28 union programs of closer economic integration. They were signed on the 4th of November and um, they list uh, many different economic policy areas from trade to uh, um, tax to macroeconomic policy and they are all about how Russia and Belarus will come closer together. Obviously, because Belarus is a smaller country, it will be Belarus who will have to meet Russian criteria. And this is another example of how Belarus is giving in to Russia's pressure of, uh, in this case, of uh, um, closely integrating with the so-called union state between the two countries. Right. Thank you. Just to conclude, are you happy, Katya, with what the West is doing, what the European Union, the British, the Canadians, the Americans are doing vis-a-vis -vis Belarus? Do you think we should adopt a different approach? Can the West, should the West be doing more to help the people of the country? Well, I think the West is doing quite a lot in terms of uh, um, supporting civil society, um, in terms of uh, uh, recognizing um, the Belarusian opposition, supporting the Belarusian opposition. Of course, it would be uh, um, desirable also to give, well, financial support is always needed because so many NGOs and media outlets have been closed down and so many um, journalists had to flee and they now uh, had to flee Belarus and they now report from abroad. And of course, today in Belarus, we have 840 political prisoners. 
and many more people are still being prosecuted. All the, their families need also financial support. But most importantly, perhaps, it's also very important to support um, non-governmental organizations, those grassroots movements that we saw uh, emerging um, uh, about you know, 18 months ago. Um, because of very high level of repression, they had to go underground, but still they continue their survival. And the more support, the more capacity building, the more expertise the West can bring to Belarus and to Belarus civil society access, the sooner Belarusian civil society will, will be able to bring about the political change um, it's seeking. Thank you. My final thought is that it's really important that the European countries keep united in dealing with Belarus and indeed with Russia, as they have been, really. I know on sanctions, the, the British and the Canadians and the Americans are coordinating very closely with the European Union countries, which is, which is excellent. That close coordination amongst the Europeans and with their other Western partners needs to stay to increase our strength vis-a-vis -vis Belarus and indeed Russia. And ironically, it's the, the egregious behaviour of Lukashenko and of Putin, which is helping to keep the Europeans and the other Western countries united. If, if, if they were played a more subtle and clever game, they could, they could divide and rule. But even, even the Hungarians and the Austrians, who are sometimes a little bit soft on Belarus, are not doing anything to help Mr. Lukashenko at the moment because they regard his behaviour as just unacceptable. That's, we've come to the end of our time now, but thank you very much to Camino in Brussels and to Katya in London for joining us on this podcast. Hope, to, hope you've enjoyed listening to it and join us for our next podcast soon. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.